Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Uptime Community. We are so glad that you could join us live today. Today's date is November 29th in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Greg Messina, and if you are new here, we are a community of believers that are actively studying the Holy Bible and looking forward to that glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. We want to make this an interactive forum, so we do welcome your questions and your comments today. Um, so today, um, we do have a special guest, and we're going to introduce him in a little bit. Um, but first, I want to know, do you know who Jesus is? If you don't, we do encourage you to get to know him today. But I first have to give you the bad news. The bad news is we're all sinners, and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We deserve eternal separation from God for eternity. Here's the good news. The good news is our debt or our sins, have been fully paid for by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He died for our sins, was buried, and was the only person ever who has risen in a fully glorified body on the third day. If you believe in your heart that this has happened and trust in Jesus as, you, as your Lord and Savior, you are saved from eternal damnation. You will be a new creature in Christ and start to live for him, not for yourself, not for the world. Today, we welcome Lee W. Brainerd to Uptime. Lee is a Bible teacher and author. His areas of study include the biblical languages, uh, eschatology, prophecy, apologetics, and major theological controversies, ancient history, and electric universe cosmology. He was saved in December of 1978, and in the fall of 1980, he came under strong spiritual exercise from the Bible, which led to significant changes in his life. He believed strongly that God was calling him to be a Bible teacher. So we will introduce Lee to the two uptime community. But first, I do want to open up with our usual uptime panel. And of course, we do bring back Brother Bob and Brother Robert. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Good evening. Good to see you guys. Good to see you. Great to see you. And uh, looking, looking forward to this tonight. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be a good show. Yes, this is going to be great. Um, it's great to have him on. Brother Kevin is not going to be able I'm um, sorry. Brother Kevin is coming on late. I just heard back from him. So he will be coming on. Uh, I do I haven't heard back from Brother Michael. Uh, Michael Pels, I believe he is still under weather. He's not feeling great. So, um, yeah, so he will not be joining us as far as I know. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, uh, here's Psalm 136. Um, this is, uh, oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. This is coming from BibleGateway.com. Uh, we are not, you know, we don't sponsor them. They don't sponsor us. But great, uh, great website. Great website. All translations of, of scripture on there. Um, we use the King James Version here on Uptime. But uh, yeah, BibleGateway.com. Highly recommend it. So, uh, gentlemen, um, should we just get right into this and bring our guest on? Yeah, I, I think we'll so. say Lee's a great teacher of the Lord. I've watched a bunch of his videos. I've actually watched videos of his like over the summer and stuff like that. And uh, I tell you what, this guy has some information that I think a lot of people here, especially on my channel, would love to hear right now. So, of course, <laughs> the enemy's already trying to interfere. So, evidently, Lee has some incredible stuff to share. So, let's just get into it audience of your uptime community tonight this is a great blessing 
Yes, great. Thank you. Without further ado, Lee Brainerd. Sorry, I was on mute there for a second there, but thank you for coming on. Um, do apologize for that. Um, so thank you for coming on. Yes, it is great to have you. Uh, for people who don't know Lee, you can go to his website. Um, and this, is, I'm going to pull it up right here. Sooth, uh, keep, let's see here. Uh, and that is his website right there, soothkeep.info. Uh, you can go to his website there. He also has a YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash at soothkeep. Uh, so you can take a look at his information there. But we are so glad to have you on, uh, brother. And uh, you have so much to to talk about today. So we want to get right into it. And um, Lee, why don't you start with uh, who you are, how you came to the Lord, and then tell us a little bit about your research before you get into your presentation tonight. Um, so please take it away. Well, ever since I was a young man, writing in grade school, I had interest in the bigger questions in life. And I can remember when I was in sixth grade walking on the playground with a friend and asking him if he had ever thought of the fact that if you traveled in a straight line in the universe, you'd never come to the end. And I was really wowed by the question. And he was, you know, kind of rolled his eyes and could care less. And so I said, well, how about God? I mean, isn't it amazing that God always has been and always will be, and he's got no beginning and no end? And, well, he was nonplussed. He was just not interested at all. And I, I couldn't understand this. And I went through some spiritual exercise all the way through my junior high school years and into my high school years. Interestingly enough, despite the fact that I went to church occasionally, it was a liberal Methodist church. We didn't hear the gospel. I'd never heard the gospel preached to me plainly, but somehow, by the grace of God, I knew inside, in my heart of hearts, that God was real, his son, Jesus Christ, was real, and the word of God was real. Well, fast forward to my uh, my time in high school. We come to my senior year, or my well, yeah, it was my senior year in high school in the fall. A friend in Helena, Montana, started sending me letters. Um, and that's an interesting situation because I'd gone to high school in Helena, Montana for my freshman and sophomore year. And then just before my junior year, my parents moved to Langdon, North Dakota, where my dad was a school teacher. And so my buddy from Helena, Montana, and I started passing letters back and forth, and he started preaching the gospel to me. He sent me a gospel of John and told me about being born again. This was all new information to me. So my Christmas vacation, my senior year, I got on a bus and I rode out to Montana and I spent Christmas vacation with my friends in Montana, Helena, Montana. And the first night it was there, and this is an interesting story. Um, it's, it's really amazing how God works at, at times. I went to a Catholic charismatic meeting. Um, and, you know, with the light I have now, I look back and there was not a lot of light there. But, you know, you don't have to have a lot of light to shine to someone that's in the darkness for them to see the light of Jesus Christ and to be saved. These people, they opened up the Bible in this Catholic charismatic meeting. They preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to me and told me if I believed on Jesus, I would have eternal life. And right there on the spot, I believed. And it was interesting because I'd always wanted to follow God, but I had absolutely no clue how to do it. Nobody ever opened up the Bible to me until that day. So that was a great blessing. That's where I got started. Uh, well, it was about almost two years later. I was uh, in the Army. I was at uh, Fort Lewis, Washington. 
In the second Ranger Battalion, we were in a Ranger indoctrination program. And uh, one of the guys that was there training with me was a born-again Christian, and he discovered that I was a born-again Christian, and he started pursuing me pretty heavily and made sure that we were bunkmates in our training and then got in the same room at the second Ranger Battalion. Well, we'd been in the Ranger Battalion for just a few days, and he asked me where my Bible was. He wanted to show me something, and I, I didn't have a Bible. And he said, what, are you crazy? Are you nuts? You, you're a born-again Christian? You don't have a Bible on you? What's wrong with you? So he, we get in, in his uh, car, and we drove to the local Christian bookstore, and he bought me a King James Study Bible. And that was the beginning of the end of my old life, so to speak. I, once I got into that Bible, starting the Gospels and working through the New Testament and getting up to the book of Revelation, and I was hooked. I've never looked back. Since that time, I have uh, pursued the Greek to learn to read the New Testament in the original language. I've pursued Hebrew to learn to read the Old Testament in the original language. And I've added some German and some Latin. And it's it's just been a great blessing. It didn't take long and in eschatology, that is Bible prophecy, became my favorite subject, and it is still my favorite subject today. So since that time, I have been, well, just on a strong path of studying the Word of God and, and reading the best books by the best men that I can find on any subject. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, it, it is very uh, interesting that you bring up some very interesting points Um some that I have not heard before specifically in regard to Revelation, and hopefully you can bring that up tonight. Um, uh, and that is uh, talking specifically in the area of chronology, um, the overlapping chronology in which most of us are used to that end-to-end um, uh, -end chronology of all of seals that yes. we talk about. Yeah, and I found that absolutely fascinating because I've always been under the assumption that it goes from uh, end to end in each seal. Sometimes, I mean, that's just kind of ingrained in our minds. Right. Where that's not the case, is it? It's an end to, it's a overlapping chronology and everything goes from one spot all the way to the end Amen. of the book of Revelation and all the, uh, in all the judgments. So that is amazing, brother. Amazing. I have to be, you know, I have to be honest with you. I, I, you know, uh, we give praise and glory to God, of course, on that. But, uh, you know, he has used you in bringing that uh, to the table. And uh, will you There's be bringing that into your presentation? I will. In fact, I can just take a couple minutes now for an introduction to it, because there's an interesting story to how I came to these conclusions. It was about, I'm going to guess, like 26, 27 years ago, I got my foot crushed in an industrial accident. And I was laid up for two years. In fact, for Close to six months, I was on my back in bed on intravenous antibiotics for a bone infection in my foot. And during that time, I, I basically, well, you could tell, if you're in bed, you got nothing to do but read. I was working on my first book I wrote, which was an answer to the pre-wrath rapture. And they make their whole case, the location of the day of the Lord. They got a very technical location of it. Yeah, with like the opening of the sixth seal up to the seventh seal. And I, I didn't know what was wrong with that system, but I had a gut feeling. I could just tell something was wrong with it. So I made an effort, and I spent months reading the entire Bible over and over, cover to cover, looking for everything I could find 
on the day of the Lord. Finding every passage that mentioned the day of the Lord or the great day of the Lord. Finding every passage that mentioned the signs in the heavens that herald the day of the Lord. Once I had all those passages, Old Testament, New Testament, then I started charting them together. And, and understanding that wherever those signs are, they have to appear at the same time. There's not two or three or four sets of these things. Um, and once I did that, I was shocked because I concluded that the day of the Lord in a technical sense was the actual day of the, the second coming. That's the sunrise. And then the 70th week is the day of the Lord arrive. Uh, uh, um, well, the day of the Lord dawning really so to speak and then the rapture is the morning star which is the the well i guess you could call it the crack of dawn of the day of the lord or the morning star of the day of the lord all of a sudden that just opened up prophecy to me in a great big way because every day of the lord passage in the bible is going to be angled at one of those senses it's going to be angled at at the morning star sense or the dawning sense most of them are the sunrise sense and uh, once once you line up those Day of the Lord passages, you are forced to overlap the the seals, the uh, trumpets, in the bowls in the Book of Revelation, and then everything starts to make sense. And everything the makes first sense. First seal, for instance. Yes. Uh, why would the first seals, the rise and reign of the Antichrist? How is that going to open and shut within three months? Once Thank he's you. once he's in the seat, he's riding hard all the way to the end until. We have salvation come down from heaven. And that's just true with all the seals. Right. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, you have a presentation for us. Um, but uh, before we get into the presentation, uh, gentlemen, do you have anything to add to any of this? Yeah, I was saying um, I love watching his videos. Uh, I went through a bunch of your videos, Lee. And, uh, you know, we just went through a uh, uh, beginning of a new Shemitah cycle. And I love how the fact that you point out that the rapture resurrection uh, will not more likely will not be tied to a feast day or beginning of Shemitah cycle or anything like that, you know. And I think a lot of people will be very interested in hearing you talk about that now, because if we are in the new Shemitah cycle and we're like, what, two months into this thing now? Yeah. <laughs> you know, people are like, what's going on here? Are, 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 yeah. are we in the, uh, the Daniel's 70th week? Are we waiting until... Uh, uh, you mentioned one of your videos that uh, if it goes to twenty ton, if we, if if it begins in twenty twenty nine, you mentioned that would be too late. But yep. if it began in twenty twenty two, it would be too early. Yeah. So you were thinking more like twenty twenty four, twenty twenty six. Yeah. You know, so that was really fascinating. So maybe you want to just lightly touch on that tonight, if you can. Yeah. Remember. Well, because of some of my teaching on the subject, I've had some people write me some frustrated emails or, or social media connections and say, what, you don't think the Shemitah cycles or the feasts are important? I said, no, I think they're very important. Yeah. That is that is the work of God. It, it's just that the church is distinct from what God is doing with Israel. And when you look at some of the material that some of these uh, brilliant Bible teachers have brought out that pertains to the, the things that are, uh, you know, things that have happened over and over again on certain feast days or certain Jewish calendar days, and things that are correlated with the Shemitah cycle, you realize God is using these Jewish things as a testimony to the Jewish people. They need to wake up and see the true Messiah. Because mm -hmm. judgment. It sure, it sure makes sense, you know. Yeah. 
God is a God of order. I mean, why why would he why would he not do it that way? Right. Absolutely. You know, what I mean, I mean, when you look at how he's honored the the feast days already, sure. um, is an honor to the to the Jewish remnant, and then the Gentile church gets a blessing out of those things. Yeah. It's going to happen again. Uh, those feast days are going to be fulfilled, not just close, but on the money with the Jewish people. And there's going to be massive blessing to the Gentiles coming out of those fulfillments. Amazing. Amen. Yeah, this is exciting stuff. So I think you just came in at the right time. I mean, really. Um, so I believe God orchestrates everything. So so anyway, uh, anything else, gentlemen, before we he gets into his presentation? No, let's get into it. I want to hear All right. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go. <laughs> Okay. So, uh, is this where you wanted to start? Okay, there we go. I'll just start right here. Yep. The, my, this yeah. is a slide presentation that I gave at the pre-trib study group conference last December. I'd gotten a surprise invitation about two weeks before the conference was scheduled to go. Uh, Tommy Ice contacted me and said, hey, you want to take my spot and give your Ephraim the Syrian uh, pre-tribulation rapture passage discoveries? And I said, Sure. I'd never done a PowerPoint presentation before. I'd never spoken in a crowd with so many PhDs or uh, master's degrees before, but um, I thought the Lord's hand was in it, and I went forth, and this is the presentation I came up with. So here, this first slide, we see that uh, this is my recent pre-tribulation rapture findings in the early church, and I point out that I'm a prophecy teacher, a researcher, and a pastor and an elder in a small church in Harvey, North Dakota. Now, how did I get involved in this studies? Well, we're going to get into that in just a minute. So, But first, I want to point out here with this slide, why investigate and present the pre-tribulation rapture passages in the early fathers? People say, well, wait a minute. I don't care what the early church taught. I believe the pre-tribulation rapture because it's taught in the scriptures. And I, I say, yep, you're right. Amen. We don't get our pre-tribulation rapture doctrine from the early church. We don't get it from J.N. Darby. We don't get it from any theologian. We get it from the Bible. If it's not taught by the Bible, it's not taught at all. But the early church fathers do remove the reproach because uh, people will, will rail on the pre-tribulation rapture believers and say, oh, you're believing a new doctrine. That wasn't around until the 1830s, and J.N. Darby invented it. He pulled it out of his magic hat, or he got it from Margaret MacDonald, that crazy Pentecostal had a vision from a, a demon and and taught the pre-tribulation rapture to, to her, and then she taught it to Jan Darby, and they make up all these stories, or they twist the, twist the history. But if you go back and you look at the early church fathers, we see very clearly that the pre-tribulation rapture was taught not by every early church father, but by many of the early church fathers. They had a prophetic controversy going on back then. And what this does is if the pre-tribulation rapture was taught in the early church, then you completely throw away that lie that the pre-tribulation rapture is an early, is a recent invention. And uh, to me, that's a, a, it's a great blessing. So we have historical evidence that the early church believed the revelational truth of the pre-tribulation rapture. Now, how did I come up, up, upon these pre-tribulation rapture passages that I'm going to show you? Well, I was involved in research on the Greek word apostasia, which is a completely different question. I don't know if you guys are familiar with 
the controversy in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, with whether the Greek word apostasia should be translated apostasy or falling away, or whether it should be translated uh, departure in the sense of a physical departure, like the rapture of the church. Sure. So I was going through this apostasia study, and I actually ended up examining all 283 references of the Greek word apostasia from its first appearance in 250 uh, B.C. in Archimedes' work, The Sand Reckoner. And I looked at every reference all the way up to 580. So I got 750 years. I read all those passages in their context to determine how apostasy was used. And um, it, that was a tremendous amount of work. I found English translations for about 60% of them. And about 40% of them, I had to make my own translations. While I was in the middle of this study, I stumbled upon a pre-tribulation rapture passage in the writings of Ephraim the Syrian that I didn't recognize. I quickly pulled down a couple books off my shelf that have a list of the known church father rapture passages. It wasn't there. I did some research online, couldn't find it, just, you know, because maybe it was a new discovery that wasn't in the published books, but I didn't find it. So then I went back to this, to the works of Ephraim the Syrian, He's got over 150 Greek works that are never translated into English. They're still in Greek. And I pulled them up on the TLG, the Thesaurus Linguae Grecae website, and I started searching rapture terms. And I found a whole bunch of unknown pre-tribulation rapture passages that were completely unknown to the dispensational world. Now, I'm searching three different classes of church fathers, and I'm still in the middle of the search. I'm searching through the known premillennialists like Irenaeus, Cyprian, and Chrysostom. I'm going through some of the Eastern or Antiochian fathers like Ephraim of Syria and Theodore of Mopsuestia because they were more independent. They were kind of aloof from Augustine, Jerome, and from that allegorical school. They were still influenced by it, but they were running independent of it in many ways. But I've also uh, been looking at um, provocative amillennialists who are not in lockstep with, with orthodoxy, like Eusebius and Origen. And I've actually found nine previously unknown, crystal clear pre-tribulation rapture passages in Eusebius. We will look at a couple tonight. I'll just quickly fly through this list. This is the kind of terms I'm searching for in this vast body of all the early church fathers and Greeks. So I'm looking for words like harpazo to seize. Apontesis, which is the word for meeting that we see in First Thessalonians chapter 4, where we're going to meet the Lord in the clouds. We have analambano and paralambano, which are some of the words that we see in the Gospels, where we have one shall be taken and one shall be left in those class of passages. We have parousia, which is what's normally translated the coming of the Lord. That's the Lord's royal entrance. Sunago, which is to gather, which is the verb behind synagogue. On a bino to ascend, patami to fly, and we're not the first ones to talk about all fly away, O glory. We have Nephili, the clouds, Salpinx, the trumpet, Kiboton, the ark, the Antichrist, uh, Therion, the beast, Dracon, the dragon, Aura, the hour, Pyrosmos, trial, Orge, wrath, Thumos, anger, Thlipsis, tribulation, Tereo, keep, Sozo, save. And there's a few more that I've been searching for. All of these have led to discovery of some pre-tribulation rapture passages. 
Now, in this slide presentation, we're going to look at 10 crystal clear pre-trib passages that I found in Ephraim the Syrian that rocked the pre-tribulational rapture this uh, this last summer. We're going to look at a few from Eusebius, uh, which is rocking the world this previous summer now. And then we're going to look at a passage in Irenaeus, which is a pretty strong rapture passage. Now, if folks haven't heard of who Ephraim the Syrian is, he's also known as Ephraim or or Ephraim. He's born in 306, died in 373. He was born in Nisibis and lived in Edessa. He was a very important and prolific Syrian church father in the fourth century who had a crystal clear pre-tribulational testimony. What's interesting about him is he's written over three million lines of hymns and sermons and prose. He was, for all practical purposes, the C8 Spurgeon of his day. He was well-loved by many of his uh, fellow preachers, even those that disagreed with him theologically because he was so profound in his devotional uh, approach to Christianity. He wrote in Syriac, so the Greek writings we have were translations, but most of these translations were made while he was alive, and in his day they were regarded as extremely accurate. Uh, the Greek reading church has been reading his works for since time immemorial, so there's a big controversy going on whether which of Ephraim's writings are, are legit and which aren't. And most people tend to favor some of his Syrian writings or, uh, or a couple of his Latin writings, and they kind of disdain the Greek writings. But if you compare these Greek writings to his known Latin and Syriac writings, this is the same man with the same gospel, with the same devotional approach, the same monastic spirit. Uh, the same pre-tribulation rapture, the same can, uh, approach to eschatology. I think it's it's primarily the liberals who don't like his conservatism, and it's the post-tribulationists who hate his pre-tribulationism that try and find fault with Ephraim and call him a pseudo-Ephraim. But here, let's look at the first passage that I discovered in Ephraim the Syrian, Um it's in 55 Beatitudes. It says, Blessed is he who unceasingly remembers the fear of Gehenna and hastens to repent, sincerely repent, for he shall be delivered from the great tribulation. Now, how can you get any clearer than that? To me, this is just absolutely amazing. Now, sometimes people look at some of his writings and say, well, man, this just seems to have just a little bit of a sliver or, or a taste of, of a works-based gospel. You know, it's performance-based. Well, yeah, he was he was in the monastic circles. He's, his gospel's going to be tainted. But nonetheless, he clearly believed in a pre-tribulation rapture. Anyway, this is on uh, Sermon on Repentance and Judgment and the Separation of the Soul from the Body. And this says here, for the elect shall be gathered prior to the tribulation, so they shall not see the confusion in the great tribulation coming upon the unrighteous world. Now, very fascinating here, because one of the terms that was used in the early church for the time we call the great tribulation is confusion or chaos. This is true of the Greek fathers, and it was true of the Latin fathers. We see this in the Greek and Latin works of Ephraim the Syrian. And it says that they're going to be gathered prior to the tribulation, so they shall not see the confusion in the great tribulation coming upon 
the unrighteous world. Uh, this one here is found in the work that's known as On the Second Coming of Our Lord Jesus Christ. And here we read, The righteous shall be seized up in the clouds to meet him, while those who are lazy and timid like me shall remain on earth trembling. Amen. Now, what's interesting here, here again, uh, some people will get stumbled at this because he's talking about staying on earth while some of his friends are going to go up in the rapture. But you have to understand he's a monk. They have a certain brand of false or pseudo humility. And that's all that this is talking about. He's saying that he's his false humility says he's lazy and timid and he's going to be staying down here on earth in the tribulation while his righteous friends around him are going to go up in the clouds to meet the Lord. Now, by the way, too, since I'm, I'm struggling with the address aspect here, I'll just point out, anyone can go to my website, which is that soothkeep.info website, and it, you scroll down that homepage, and you're going to find my 12 ministry sections. One of those sections is on prophecy. You go into that prophecy section, yep, there's the address, and you can pull up. Um, all of my prophetic works I've done, there's a whole section there on the early church fathers. And you can pull up all of these Ephraim, the Syrian passages, that, and they'll be there in the whole passage and not a little excerpt. And it'll have the Greek with it. So if you use the Greek, you can see the Greek. And there's a whole bunch of technical notes that go with it. And I've written some commentary on this stuff. So if you want to do some deeper diving into this stuff, um, all the information is there for you. Yeah, Lee, I'm not seeing anything different from uh, my end either here. Okay, yeah. The extra stuff there. So I may have just loaded a different version of my slides than I thought I was loading. Okay. Here we have um, a, a passage from On the Fathers Who Have Completed Their Course. And here we read again, When we see the saints in glory flying off in light in the clouds of the air to meet Christ, the King of glory, but see ourselves in the great tribulation, who shall be able to bear that shame and reproach? Again, we see his pseudo-humility um, trying to put himself off as less than he is and thinking that he'll be in the great tribulation while he sees the saints, excuse me, flying off in glory in the clouds to meet Christ, the King of glory. But if someone can look at a passage like this and not see the pre-tribulation rapture, then I would have to say, if this doesn't prove the pre-tribulation rapture was believed by the early church, then nothing is going to convince you that the pre-tribulation rapture was believed by the early church. You can't be any clearer than this. They're going to go up in the clouds before the great tribulation. Amazing. Here's another blessed one. Um, oh, there, they, uh, let's see here. I can't quite get the top of this one here, but I'll just read the part that we have here. It's talking about being worthy to escape the tribulation. If anyone has tears and compunction, let him pray the Lord that he might be delivered from the tribulation which is about to come upon the earth that he might not see it at all, nor the beast himself, nor even hear of its terrors. 
And this is from Sermon on the Advent, the End and the Coming of the Antichrist. So here again, there's people that are going to, whoops, anyway, there's people that are going to, yeah, people that are going to escape the tribulation. And we're supposed to pray that we should be delivered from the tribulation. And notice this tribulation is going to come upon the entire earth, the entire globe. This is the same thing that we see in Revelation 3.10 with the hour of trial that's going to come upon the entire world. And those that escape it, they're they're not going to be delivered through that hour of trial. It says they're not going to see it at all, nor even hear of its terrors. Oh, yeah, there we have a little better opportunity to see that top line. Watch always praying continually that you may be worthy to escape the tribulation. Okay, here's slide 13. This is from a work called On Patience and the Consummation of This Age and on the Second Coming. Let us take up the full armor that we may be able to fight the good fight, that we may be, might be delivered from the wrath coming upon the sons of disobedience. So we've seen passages that he's written where he's talking about the great tribulation, but he also has passages that equate that same time or call that same time wrath. So in his mind, the time of wrath and the time of tribulation were synonymous. Very similar thinking to a modern dispensationalist, a modern pre-tribulationist. Here in a sermon on the resurrection of the dead, he wrote, Count us worthy, O Lord, of the rapture of the righteous when they meet you, the master, in the clouds, that we might not be tried by the bitter and inexorable judgment. Here we got a third description. Now we have a tribulation, we've got wrath, and we've got judgment. He calls it bitter and inexorable judgment. So when you go to meet the Lord in the clouds, in his mind, you are escaping the great tribulation. When you go to meet the Lord in the clouds in his mind, you were escaping the bitter coming judgment. When you go to the clouds in his mind, you were escaping the time of wrath at the end of the age. This one's in a work called The Destruction of Pride. Take us out from the coming fear and count us worthy of that rapture when the righteous are raptured in the clouds of the air to meet the king of glory. Now we got a fourth term that he uses for the time of tribulation, and he calls it the coming fear. A very interesting concept. This is not altogether uncommon in the early church fathers to regard the tribulation as the time of fear. Um, They use fear in the sense of, of, of the thing that's coming to us, not merely with the fear that we have in our heart, which we call this fear, but they would call the thing that terrifies us, the terror, they called the fear. Uh, Slide 16 is from a work called How the Soul Ought to Pray God with Tears. Blessed are those who cry day and night that they should be delivered from the coming wrath. And this one's in on the blessed and the cursed. Blessed are those who cry day and night because they shall be delivered from the coming wrath. So if you notice now, he has great tribulation, tribulation, wrath, judgment, and confusion all used as synonyms. 
He's got no quibbling distinction between tribulation and wrath. He does have false Christians left behind at the rapture. And he uses a broad variety of rapture terms like gather, fly, seize, deliver, remove, and meet in the clouds. And he has the prepositions ek and apo used to emphasize exclusion from the wrath. And he expected the rapture before the coming of the tribulation. Um, we don't need to compare the Greek and the Latin Ephraim, but this stuff is on my website if someone wants to look at it. Now, Irenaeus is an interesting man because some people have claimed that he teaches a, a post-tribulation rapture. Now, he was born very early. He was born around the year 130, and he died around 202. Tradition has that he was a disciple of Polycarp, and Polycarp was a disciple of John. So he's not very far removed. He was... Um, when the apostle John passed away, he was born less than 40 years later. He was born in Turkey. He was a bishop of a, a community in France, uh, Lugdunum, which is now Lyon. He was definitely premillennial and pre-tribulational. And his premier work is called Against Heresies. Now, tragically, most of his works have not survived because most of the early church fathers who believed in premillennialism, had their premillennial works uh, banned and burned and confiscated. They were destroyed. But here his passage in Against Heresies 529.1, we read, When in the end the church shall be suddenly caught up from this, it is said there shall be tribulation. So a time is going to come in his mind. We're going to be in the end of the age. The church is going to be suddenly caught up, and then there shall be tribulation. So I run through the through the Latin here, and I run through the Greek here for the deeper scholars, and they can uh, peruse these slides at their leisure, if they please. If we take a closer look at this passage, I point out that the being taken up is analambano, it's a present passive participle. It means being caught up. And then we have, it's a circumstantial participle that contextualizes the phrase, there shall be tribulation. So when the church is being caught up, it's at that time that there's going to be tribulation. Um, in other words, you could say once the church is caught up, the tribulation is going to happen. Now, the Greek in this passage of, of uh, Irenaeus actually is more emphatic than the Latin because instead of the ambiguous when, uh, when the rapture happens, the tribulation shall happen, we have uh, once the rapture happens or of the rapture happening. So it's, in my mind, this is a pretty clear rapture passage. And by the way, I am working on um, some Irenaeus material that I am going to be putting up on my website in the near future. So if you're interested in, in the argument of, that proves that Irenaeus is a pre-tribulationist and explains why people make a mistake in the passage that seems to say he's post-tribulation, all that is going to be explained on my website. Now, Eusebius was a little later. He was born around 260, died around uh, 340. 
He was a bishop of Caesarea. He's a very influential scholar. You may have heard of his work, Ecclesiastical History. Now, he was suspected of Arianism, and he was definitely influenced by the allegorizing of Origen, and he was a favorite of Constantine. But despite his amillennialism, he was still a pre-tribulationist. And that was the same thing with Ephraim the Syrian. He was amillennial, but he was clearly pre-tribulational. Um, so in the early church, amillennialism and pre-tribulationism were very distinct issues. Now, in Eusebius, we read here in a fragment from Daniel, it's fragment Epsilon. The Apostle Paul was moved to write in this manner on the second coming of Christ. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the command, with the call of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and so forth. But the same apostle also set forth in order in his prophetic writings the ultimate coming of the Antichrist in his depravity, and after this, the glorious appearing of our Savior. So notice um, Paul's order. Paul had the rapture, the Antichrist, and the glorious appearing. And if you'll notice how um, the, the way that Eusebius couches this, he makes sure that we understand that order. Because he sets forth an order in his prophetic writings. He says there's going to be the um, first we're going to have the trumpet of God. Then we're going to have the coming of the Antichrist. And after this, the glorious appearing. So it's the rapture, the Antichrist, and the glorious appearing. This is going to be a uh, a blessed day. And I, I, I'm so thankful has opened my eyes to this precious truth. Now, here's another interesting one. This is in his commentary on Psalms on, on uh, 75th. Then they shall be exalted when they shall reign with their own king, according to the apostle who said, for the first fruits is Christ, then those who are Christ in his parousia, then the end, when he shall deliver the kingdom to his God and Father, when he shall destroy all authority and power. Now, this wouldn't prove a pre-tribulation rapture if um, if Eusebius here was premillennial and he was looking at this delivering of the kingdom to his father at the end of the millennium. But once you understand he's all millennial, he has a general resurrection and a general judgment at the second coming, and that's what he means by the end. So now you have... Christ is resurrected. Then you have those who are Christ in his parousia. And then the end when he delivers the kingdom to his God and Father. So he's making a clear distinction between the pre-tribulation rapture and the second coming. Uh, once you see this amillennial connection in some of these early church fathers, all of a sudden you realize that there's a few of them that are really truly teaching a pre-tribulation rapture and it's escaped the attention of certain men. Well, we got one more here. Uh, this is from the fragments in Luke, Luke 17, 26, a favorite rapture passage for many believers. As all perished then except those gathered with Noah in the ark, so also at his coming, the ungodly in the season of apostasy shall perish, while, according to the pattern of Noah, 
all the righteous and godly are to be separated from the ungodly and gathered into the heavenly ark of God. For in this way comes the time when not even one righteous man will be found anymore among mankind. And when all the ungodly have been made atheists by the Antichrist and the whole world is overcome by apostasy, (laughs) the wrath of God shall come upon the ungodly. What a precious passage. We've got um, trouble brewing in the world like it was in the days of Noah. The believers are gathered in the heavenly ark. And then there's not one righteous man left on the planet. And then all the ungodly are made into perfect atheists by the Antichrist. And the whole world will be overcome by apostasy. And then the wrath of God shall come upon the godly. Mm. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, go ahead. Is that right? I, I, this is fascinating. Uh, I just, you know, there's there's a scripture that, that talks about how we've been saved from wrath through, you know, it's in Thessalonians. We've been saved yes. for the, from the wrath to come. Yes. And uh, in my study of the word over the years and everything, I've, I don't know, have you ever come across any, any of the, um, any of the, any of the uh, gentlemen that you're um, quoting here that have ever um, come at this angle as the, the reason that we've been concerned that we've been delivered from the wrath to come is that the wrath that was doled out at the, at the cross on Jesus Christ was the wrath that was to come. I mean, if you know what I'm saying, we're, we don't, he's the one that took it. Obviously We, we all believe that, that Jesus laid down his life for us so that we didn't have to go through that. And I think, I think what it is is, a lot of people feel almost like they have to go through it. And then again, here we go with the works again. Yep. You know, we, ha- we have to go through this to prove to God that we're worthy. And we've, we've talked about this on uptime quite a few times. Yeah, there's a, definitely a work a based salvation. It's it. Yes, there's definitely a, a, a performance based mentality that's in the pre-wrath rapture camp and in the post-tribulation camp. It wasn't that strong in the decades past, but it is rampant in our day. Yeah. Well, thank yeah, you. you. I didn't want to interrupt you there. I just, I just. No, no, that's that, that was that's something I would have been thinking about, and I, I, I did a teaching one time on that, and and uh, I got I got busted by a few people saying, you know, you're what you're doing is you're uh, you're adding to the word, you're interpreting the word uh, the way you think it needs to be, and I said, well, no, I'm not because this makes sense if you look at it. Um, if if you look at the accompli- if you look at the finished work of Jesus Christ, it makes perfect sense. It's just the things that you've been acknowledging here, Eusebius and Ephraim. It's kind of it's to me it's fascinating because this was a long time ago that they wrote these things. Well, amen. And and all of a sudden, <clears throat> you know, hearing them and I'm going, these guys, they were tapped in. They they were they, they were they were humble. They they were they were teachable, and I'm sure it wasn't easy for them either. There were probably people that thought that they were way out there. Oh, the the pre-tribulationists yeah. in the early church, very early on, had a rough row to hoe in dealing with the amillennialists and the allegorists. Um, yeah. You know, you get up in the day of, of Augustine and Jerome, 
and it was miserable. You were out of political favor. You were out of religious favor if you believed in in premillennialism and pre-tribulationism. But I want to come back to your thought, brother, on on the Lord bearing the wrath, because every man on earth has, uh, well, he's got a sin debt that can only be paid by judgment. It can only be paid by wrath. And either the Lord is going to pay that debt or you are going to pay that debt. And it's an infinite debt. So if you pay for it, that implies infinite eternal punishment. If you let the Lord pay for it, there's there, now there's nothing on your part because the infinite eternal Savior has paid an infinite eternal price for your deliverance from the judgment to come. And when when we talk about the wrath that come in the sense that it's coming in the future, um, and people think about the earthly judgment quite a bit, but that earthly judgment is judgment mingled with grace trying to persuade the last few men possible to repent and believe so they don't have to face the full-blown wrath of God. I find it amazing the globe, pleading with mankind and preaching the everlasting gospel. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, see, that's, 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 that's the fascinating thing about it. That's what, that's what makes, uh, that's what makes Christianity such a, a unique belief because you know it's it's not I, I personally don't believe it's a religion I believe it's a way of a father with his children and I the the love of God is what calls a man to repentance um, knowing his word and you know understanding it you know it talks about the natural man doesn't receive the things of the spirit of God he can't because they're spiritually discerned but what happens is is um once you get born again and you start to you start to really understand these things um you really get uh you know it's it it opens the eyes of your understanding you know i i this is the first time i've i've met you and listened to you and i'm going boy you know this is i mean it, it god is the one that gets the glory we all know that but to me it's fascinating that these uh these early these early church um teachers fathers if you will had such a had such an understanding and and they were they were so articulate as to how they wrote it down so they're really um it talks about romans man is really not is has no excuse uh once you're once you're presented with the truth you either reject it or you accept it and uh, amen it's 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 uh it, but it's still is still with the with the great love and compassion that God does this. He doesn't do this. You know, he he doesn't want anybody to suffer. I mean, he wishes all men to be saved and come to to the knowledge of the truth. It says in the Word, not a knowledge of a truth or a knowledge of the many truths, because there's not many truths out there. So, anyway, I've talked too much already. Here no, no, again. and I I think <laughs> the point that you brought out, brother, is so important and it's critical in our day. I believe that God really does present the gospel off offer to the entire human race. It's not merely intended for just a small percentage that Christ Jesus really did taste death for every man. And that, um, that he's put the ball in man's court. Um, 
he's already extended that first effort of grace to all men, hoping that they will turn, praying that they will turn, wishing that no man should perish. Um, <clears throat> mm-hmm. Oh, I just, it's, it's tragic in my mind that we've lost so much ground in the past few decades on understanding that the gospel is for the entire human race. Yeah, I've said many Amen. times, just give Jesus a chance. You know, the, the teachings that I do, uh, I'll say that a lot. You know, you, that's what I was um, challenged with when I was into Buddhism, when I went to my first fellowship. Yep. The man said, give Jesus Christ a chance. And here, just you know, why not give him a chance? And I thought, well, why not? And I'm real thankful I did. Hmm. Amen. Uh, it, it, it hasn't always been easy. And we, you know, the, 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 uh, life of a believer can be tough at times, but it's a whole heck of a lot better <laughs> to know the Savior than to not know him. I'll tell you that. Oh, amen. You know, one of the, the sweetest thoughts to me uh, ever since I'm a young believer, I've loved Bible prophecy, but one of my favorite topics in Bible prophecy has been the the glories and the blessings that are offered to the believer in eternity, whether we call it heaven or whether we call it the eternal state. Uh, God is such an amazing giver. When you stop and think that all he asks for is our feeble little handful of faith uh, in our cracked vessel that bears that feeble little bit of faith for one short lifetime. And what do we get in return? And eternity. We get eternal life uh, in an infinite utopia where there's infinite energy, infinite resources, infinite time, and infinite opportunities. So we got one short little life down here to be a good soldier, and we got one long eternity to be a fulfilled human being. I, I, I get excited when I think about that. I can hardly wait. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. You know, it's, there's, a, you know, there's a phrase, love so amazing, so divine. It's, it's, uh, it's really, that's, that's the thing that drew me. You know, it's the, God is the one that draws us. You know, he, he knew that from before the foundation of the world, we were all going to believe. When I was do, going through all my things, he knew that one day that I would be a seeker. I would search for the truth and made it available for me to find it. And I think there's a lot of people that are tuning in tonight that may be in that same in that same camp. Lee. They're, they're, they may even think that there's really no truth and there's really no there's no hope. And this crazy world is getting is spinning out of control. But, you know, there is there is a truth and there is a hope. Amen. There so, sure is. Yeah. Amen. I love how you talk about the uh, infinite resources, the infinite uh, time and opportunities and stuff like that. You know, you can really let your mind go crazy. I was listening to one of your videos where you're talking about how, you know, you said that there is so much uh, um, so many minerals and natural resources that you find on one square mile of an asteroid that that has been mined is more there than what's been mined from the entire earth since the history of man. Yes. You know, so I'm thinking to myself, you know, I never thought about that. <clears throat> I was like, what in, the, in, in our mortal bodies, we'll be able to access that stuff, go there and mine it, get it. And will the Lord allow us to build worlds? He, he already has the planet. We go there and we develop it. I would love that. Oh, I would amen. Love to do that. I mean, I probably will hardly ever be here on the earth. I'll be just, I'll be a general contractor, just going, 
planet to planet to planet to planet. That's what I want to do, man. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yep. You know, it's uh, people have some interesting views of eternity. I think what they need to understand is in the resurrection, we do not cease to be human beings. We cease to be sinful human beings. Mm-hmm. So in the Gospels, when the Lord says, he that loses his soul for my sake and the sake of the gospel shall keep it, but he that finds his soul shall lose it. Well, soul there, I think most versions say life. He that finds his life shall shall lose it, and he that loses his life shall find it. But it's actually the Greek word soul. The soul is the seat of your desires, your interests, your preferences, your tastes, and your what you like and what you dislike. And what the Lord is saying is, I want you to just take living your life for your own tastes and desires, set it aside just for one short little life, and come follow me and seek what I want down here. And then you get your soul back, and you get it with infinite interest in my infinite eternity. Well, how can you lose with a deal like this? We're, mm-hmm. we're giving up trying to find happiness in the outhouse in return to find happiness in infinite utopia. I mean, right. this is the no-brainer. I love, and uh, you mentioned that in another one of your videos. Maybe, so many great nuggets I get from your videos. Highly recommend subscribing to this channel. When I post this video for my channel, make sure I put your link below. Got to go check this guy out, guys. You'll love his teachings. Uh, you made a mention that Jesus Christ, his works at the cross, his blood that paid for our sins, is the greatest thing that God can ever give us. That's okay, right. That's the greatest thing. All right. Eternal life. So you made a point about God's given that is like the best thing in the world, the best thing ever. And now you're gonna say, okay, well, can is it okay if I can go over to this planet here? Can I go over there? Would that be okay? It's like I it's like the the, the greatest example you gave was um you said that a person imagine somebody who's a multimillionaire gave you a million dollars something huge and late, later on that day you ask him for a paper clip something something it's not worth anything <laughs> you know it's a it's like, it's like but yet you're too scared to ask for it but like he just gave you a million dollars you know what i'm saying so the fact that the lord's already gave us the greatest gift for eternity who is jesus christ these you know going out and exploring the universe is finite it's a you know, that's a clip. finite thing. It's not that big of a deal. That's right. Okay. It's oh yeah, yeah, you can go ahead and do that. But the greatest thing that we receive is Jesus Christ. Yep. See what I'm saying? Yep, I do. And one thing I like to tell people, because once in a while people say, Well, when you talk about eternity, you're always talking about the, the earthly physical stuff. And I mm-hmm. want to talk about the Lord. And you know what? I do talk about the the earthly uh human type stuff a lot. And I do that, well, for a couple reasons. One, I think, because I probably just talk about that more than your average Christian. But the other thing is, there's a lot of people that have no idea what eternity is going to be like. They think they're going to be up sitting on a cloud somewhere between an angel and a ghost, kind of there, kind of not there. Nothing to do, nothing to taste, you know, just, just or maybe 24-7 formal worship around the throne. But the concept of 24-7 formal worship around the throne, I think, is actually demeaning. It's not only demeaning to the human being, it's demeaning to God himself. God's not a tyrant. He, he's, he's not egotistical. He's, his purpose is to bless us and make us happy. And when he wants us to worship him, 
uh, as often as we're going to be do it because there will be formal worship on a regular basis in eternity. That's mm-hmm. for our own good. That's for our own blessing. But every time we stand before that throne, we're going to have fresh wonder in our hearts from things we've seen, from things we've experienced, from fellowship with other believers. We're going to have fresh excitement. Our worship, our formal worship in heaven will never grow stale. Mm. That's a great point. I love awesome. um, the fact that, you know, the Bible talked about these free, these feast days will be, uh, they, they will go on forever and ever. Amen. Right? So, it goes on forever and ever. Now think about it. You know, think about ten thousand years from now, guys. We are all we're spread all over the universe. Okay, but the Lord says, "All oh, these feast time continues on the earth." Okay, it just continues. Okay, I don't know how, it's, how the feast days are every single year. I don't know how that's going to work. But isn't that something that God creates this thing where it creates a family reunion where we all come together on the earth for a celebration during the feast days? Amen. You see what I'm saying. It's just like a family that has a family reunion every few years. So they stay in contact. Well, the Lord has feast days. Okay. And just imagine that, you know, everybody coming from all over the universe to the planet Earth. And I know it's going to be a new Earth. It's going to be way bigger than it is right now. Okay. But I'm just thinking to myself, just think about that. Just just think about everybody when that day comes, when we go to Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. Just think about walking in there. And everybody greeting each other. You're going out to dinner. You're dancing. There's music. There is just sitting down, relaxing. Just imagine what that is like when people are coming together for these feast days. You know, it's just going to be so incredible. You know what I'm saying? It, it's going to make uh, Christmas look like Domino's Pizza Party. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, That's very good. Mm-hmm. All right, should we go back to your presentation? What do you think? Oh, yeah, we. I think there's a couple more slides. We can finish that. Um, here on this slide, I just point out that some of the early church fathers were amillennial. And historically, nobody has taken the time to look in the amillennial church fathers for pre-tribulation rapture passages. Um, I think it's it's worth the investigation. There's some that obviously we're going to be very anti-pre-trib, but the pre-tribulation rapture issue and the amillennial issue were very different. In fact, if there's anybody out there that's actually working on a doctoral degree, you might want to consider doing your doctoral thesis on early church amillennials who were pre-tribulational you will probably be the first person to ever write a doctoral dissertation on this subject if you cover this. And if you want information on it, you want the leads, just email me and I will send you what I got and point you in the right direction and help you out. And if you need some help with the Greek, just shoot me an email. But anyway, this really needs to get out. So the the conclusion to my whole little presentation here is that um, we've looked at 10 Previously unknown pre-tribulation rapture passages in Ephraim the Syrian. We looked at a very clear one in in Irenaeus. We looked at several from Eusebius. I've actually got six more from Eusebius for a total of nine crystal clear ones. So there's a whole lot more pre-tribulation rapture testimony in the early church than we had originally anticipated. That testimony was much broader and deeper. 
And I think uh, the broader and deeper we go into these untapped early writings, both untranslated Latin writings, untranslated Greek writings, untranslated Syriac writings, we're going to find more pre-tribulation rapture testimony. So um, there's a whole lot of work out there. And if there's anybody out there that's a Greek scholar, Latin scholar, or a Syriac scholar, and this comes your ears, consider taking part of this project up. There's a lot of work to be done for a blessing to the pre-tribulational camp. So here's my last slide. I love the whole concept of being a soldier for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we can understand that we're down here to be soldiers for him, and we're not down here, like like our, our picture for what the Christian life should be, should be a picture of the battlefield, uh, the battleground, not a picture of the playground. You know, this our Christianity is not a Sunday school picnic or church camp 24-7, 365. It's, it's a battlefield. And on the battlefield, you get hungry, you get tired, you get discouraged, you get wounded, you get uh, covered with dirt and mud and ugly. And, you know, oftentimes when I hear people say, oh, man, I'm just getting so tired, so exhausted. And they start questioning whether the Lord loves them. And I say, hey, wait a minute. You can't go there. You're dirty. You're tired. You're hungry because you're giving it on the battlefield. This is one of the most honoring things that you can do for the Lord. And God is going to make it worth your while because uh, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is going to work for us a far more exceeding and infinite way to glory. In fact, we read also in uh, Romans chapter 8 that that our present afflictions are not worth comparing to the glory that shall be revealed in us. So, folks, we got one short life to be a good soldier. We got one long eternity to be a fulfilled human being. So give her with all your gusto. And when you run out of gusto, give it with gumption. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. Thank you, Lee. Appreciate that uh, presentation, brother. That was amazing. Um, You know, there's things going back and forth in the chat uh, comments. You know, Uh, I I do understand people uh, sometimes get a little confused about, um, you know, in in regard to salvation, in regard to salvation. what it means to be worthy. Um, can you can you elaborate a little bit more on that uh, aspect of it, and specifically what it means to be a true follower of Christ? Because um, you do believe that uh, you know once you're you're truly saved, you are saved. Oh, absolutely. Um, yes. You know, one of the difficulties that we face is sometimes very zealous Christians with relatively good motives start doing too rigorous of fruit searching in trying to determine whether people are believers or not believers. And folks, I want to discourage you from this. While the Bible does say you will know them by their fruits, you have to decide what kind of fruits you're looking for to determine if they're alive. You are not supposed to be looking for fruits of health to determine whether someone has spiritual life. You're supposed to look for signs of spiritual life. Let's say you're from the North Country up here. Let's You're in Minnesota or North Dakota. You're going ice fishing. And one of your buddies falls through the ice. And he's under the ice, the cold water, for 10 or 15 minutes. And then there happens to be a, someone there that's a, a, a 
uh, sheriff's de- deputy, rescue guy. He throws the scuba gear on. He goes down, pulls your buddy up. They pull him up on the ice, and they check his pulse, and, and they, they get him to breathe again. But they say, you know what? He's only breathing three times a minute, and we I don't regard it as you're alive unless you're breathing at least 15 times a minute. So, And his pulse is really, really weak. The, the blood pressure is too low, and he's got about 10 beats a minute. So you know what? I think he's dead. No, you can't do that. You can't do that. And that's what people do when they come to struggling believers, whether they're new babes struggling with the sins of the flesh they haven't got victory over yet, or whether you're talking to young believers or even mature believers really going through a hard time, struggling with, with besetting sin, falling into backsliding. And they say, oh, I don't believe they're saved. If they were saved, they would have done that. But you can't say that. Ultimately, we know believers are going to be characterized by overcoming. But you have to understand that that overcoming does not necessitate they're reaching some elevated level of holiness. All it means is that they're actually going forwards over any given period of time with the Lord. And that's it. Um, Some of us, we read in Hebrews that for the time being, you should have been a teacher. You're still a babe. And we see that all around us. Doesn't mean they're not saved. Doesn't mean they're not going to have a great eternal reward. It just means that they're not taking full advantage of of what's given to them in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think if we understand that, we are going to, Mm -hmm. it's going to be a lot easier when we start trying to to deal with people who are, who are, Weak believers. I one time had a time where uh, a young man in in a sister church fell into fornication for the fourth or fifth time. Just, you know, he, he met a gal. He's working in a restaurant. He met a good-looking female that comes in, and uh, things, sparks flew, and, and a relationship started. And the this church was so frustrated with him that they put him out. And they decided he was not saved. And they weren't going to receive him back into fellowship until he admitted that he wasn't saved. And then they wanted to see him get truly saved. So I put a lot of prayer into it. And I I went to these brothers, these, these elders, the pastors, and I visited with them. And I said, "We, you can't do that. You, it's possible he's not saved, but it's most likely when you look at the fruit that he's had in his life when he's not fallen into sin. The best explanation in my mind is he's a weak believer and he needs to get married. <laughs> and uh, so we went through this situation. I, I got permission from that church to deal with this young man, bring him to a point of restoration and then I said, hey, now you got to go talk to your pastors. You need to get right with your church. You need to make it right. And uh, he did. And now he's back in happy fellowship. And he's also happily married. His, the gal he was with got saved. It's, it's, a, it's a precious story. Amen. You know, another good fruit for everybody out there is, uh, you know, when you sin, um, well, first of all, Ephesians 4.30 uh, grieve not the Holy Spirit, a promise which you are sealed till the day of redemption. Amen. Okay? And you're sealed, but you can grieve the Holy Spirit when you sin. You sure can. Okay. And think about it this way. When you sin, you do anything that you just feel is sinful, 
when it happens, you are grieving. You feel that it kind of takes the wind out of your sails. All right. So now some people do it more than others. Okay. This guy here, he's probably, you know, he's probably going through all that stuff there, Lee. But you know what, though? He's probably dying inside. He was. He was. He absolutely was. Yeah. So if you see him going through, oh, look what he's doing. He's not saying there. You know, but then it's like, okay, when he when he's by himself with the Lord, he's just crying. Please help me stop doing this. Please give me strength. I just want to get through this. You don't know that he's beating his chest like that tax collector was doing. Yep. You know, when Jesus said, I, I like that guy better. He's like, I'm a sinner. Help me, you know. So, yeah, I mean, so that's a great point. Going out and trying to figure out everybody else's fruits. Yeah, we have good days. We have bad days. Right, Lee? That's right. <laughs> you know, um, so go ahead. You, we have to make sure that uh, we have an obligation to discern. There's no doubt about it. But we want to make sure that we're not taking snapshot discernments of anyone's spiritual state. Mm-hmm. Because a spiritual state is judged by a long period of evaluation on a thousand different angles. And if you don't have that, how are you going to have discernment into somebody's life? You know, the thing too is that uh, the fact that everybody listening right now, if you've ever gone through that, I know we all have, okay? Uh, I've gone through it, all right? And uh, when you meet that resistance, that, that, that pain, that resistance, that grieving, you know, that is a sign, that is a sign that you are, that is proof that you are sealed and you are saved. Amen. The fact that there is resistance in your spirit because you sinned and that you're going through pain because of that. The ungodly have no compunction or repentance or remorse for their sin. The only kind they can have is fear of what other people think. And fear of what other people think has nothing to do with the work of the Spirit of God in your heart. Mm. That's that's uh, what Bob, what you're talking about there is standing in state, right? Because yeah, amen. Our state is uh, once we're born again, we're sealed. You know, we've got that Holy Spirit of promise. We're we sure do. We're uh, you know heirs of God, joint heirs of Christ Jesus. Now our our stand our state is that our standing fluctuates. It does. You know, I mean, it would it would be wonderful if it didn't. Believe me. I don't think anybody's going to argue with that one, but just like Bob was just saying, it it really, it gnaws at you when you're outside of the will of God. Yep. It It, just, you know, you kind of go, you know, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say one thing that helps too is understand that when we're born again, we have an insanely powerful force that's now in our heart. But this force works through our mind and heart and will. It doesn't force our mind and heart and will. And what's a blessing about this is it's not possible for someone to be born again and for years on end bear zero fruit at all. But it is possible for someone to be born again and really struggle for a long time. That's, I mean, we see it. We see it with young believers. And and, uh, we often see it with people that have been believers for a long enough time. They should be mature, and they're still immature. And, and that doesn't take away or from the fact that they're saved. They're going forwards. They're just not going forwards at the pace that they should. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me, this was really an eye-opener, and it's one of the passages in the Scriptures that saved me from the bondage of a legalistic understanding of Christianity, was that at the judgment seat of Christ, 
There are going to be people whose entire Christian life burns up as wood hand stubble. And to yeah. me, that's a shocker because when you look at, there had to have been some degree of faith. There had to have been some degree of repentance or the Lord wouldn't let him in. When you look at passages like first Corinthians five and Ephesians five and, and in, in, in Galatians about uh, they that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of life, kingdom of light. You know that there's, there's characteristics in their life of going forwards rather than going backwards. But, when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to serving, when it comes to bearing fruit, there's there's nothing. And once we understand that, I think it, it will dial down our discernment to where we're discerning with a spirit of grace rather than discerning with the spirit of Phariseeism or legalism. Huh. And, and that's the biggest failure of people that have a discernment ministry is we're, we can be uh, just get too harsh, too rigorous. If we lose that spirit of grace, we're gonna we're gonna hinder the work of God in the long run and not help it. Well, well Jesus was moved with compassion. It, it doesn't say it doesn't say he was moved with uh, overwhelming crit- criticism of people. That's right. I mean, he he used to go after the Pharisees and the Sadducees because of the depth of the darkness that was in him. But the what, people that he dealt with, it was, you know, he, he was moved with compassion. What's, what's interesting about the point you're making, it, it's so valuable to understand this. The people whose only problems was just the sins of the flesh, your typical sins of the flesh, the ones that beset human beings left and right. He had a great deal of, of grace and mercy and patience with them, wasn't casting them out, wasn't reproving them. It was the people that were religious and hardened against the truth that received his scathing rebukes. Amen. They were like Jesus even ridiculed them for you know paying a tenth on a, on the spices. Yeah, that's right. They're, they're like, I don't know how you do that. You count grains. I don't know how you do that. You pay a tenth <laughs> on your spice. But that's how. I mean, that's how legalistic they were. You yep. know, and Jesus tore them up. You know, just tore them up. You know, yeah, incredible. Well, those are the people that it's just like the example of the um, when uh, when Peter and John, uh, the the man who was at Temple Gate Beautiful, hmm. and uh, they they ministered to him, and they had they had been in there and they'd seen him, but at that point, the the Lord said, "This is the time he's expecting to be healed." Now, when it, I love that whole section, he he. And he stood up leaping and, you know, he, and he says he held him as they went in there. But the people that he should have been going to, to get deliverance, he couldn't go to. That's right. And then what do they do? He, they, they said he did it on the wrong. They did this on the wrong day. They weren't blessed. They weren't happy that this man had received wholeness. They just wanted to judge him. But that guy, he didn't care. He was so excited. He was leaping around and dancing, and they were having a good old time. And he was, it says, and he was praising God, which probably yeah. drove, which probably drove them all crazy there. But the people who um, should have been the leaders should have been the ones that the folks who were uh, suffering should have been going to. They they couldn't go to him 
after a while, they wouldn't go to him because they were so, uh, like you were saying, they were so ju- judgmental and and um, so critical. Uh, if you didn't do th- uh, things a certain way that you weren't even, you know, you couldn't even come into the synagogue for, with them. So it's. I, uh, I am just so thankful for the freedom that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, for the grace amen. that we have. And that, yes. you know. When, when we find the Lord Jesus and we find his grace, it's something that's, that's just like that experience you're talking about. This man was jumping up and down for joy. He was excited. You know, religion can't give that to us. No, it can't. When I was Not growing yet. up, I went to church for years. Not every Sunday because, you know, I grew up in hunting and fishing country, so we missed a few Sundays. <laughs> but uh, I, I was in church quite a bit growing up. I never once got excited about Sunday school or church. Mm-hmm. But once my friend was preaching to me born again, I, I thought, now this is interesting. And I, I was interested. I go to that meeting and the gospel's presented to me. And now there is no decision for me to make because I never, I never made a conscious decision. As soon as the light came on, I was all over it. I'd have to think about it. It's like, who wouldn't want eternal life? And I got excited that night, and I've never lost it. We're over four decades later. And uh, the salvation never gets old. Awesome. Hey, Greg, Great. you want to do some questions for Lee? We got a bunch of questions here. Yeah, I don't know if we have that many, but uh, if you have questions for Lee, pr- please bring them in. We'll start with what uh, we have so far. Go ahead, Bob. I got kind of like this one here. Say, Lee, say, are those giant books you have or real books or decorations? <laughs> no, those are real books. Amazing story. What they are is they're Galandi's fathers. It was a set of books printed in the uh, 1660s to the 1680s. There's 14 volumes in, uh, in they're in vellum or lambskin. And very high quality acid-free paper. Only 300 editions were printed in the first printing, and there's never any printings again. They're typically found in monasteries and big Catholic universities. When I was a young believer, I prayed the Lord to bring me a set because there's a bunch of rare church father writings in there. Uh, What they did is they gathered together a lot of stuff, like Augustine's works are in separate volumes. Jerome's works are in separate volumes. This is a lot of stuff that's not found in in independent sets. So they gathered it all together. It goes all the way up into the 1400s, a lot of very rare stuff from the Mm. Middle Ages. I prayed for it, and I was. we lived in Grand Rapids at the time. I walked into a Christian bookstore, which was Kriegel's bookstore in Grand Rapids. I used to have a big basement used bookstore. I walked in, and there was a big rack of new books, and it was obvious he'd emptied a monastery. He, He did. He bought out what was an, a convent? He bought a convent library. And that set of books was there. He was selling it for a grand. And I bought it on the spot. So there's less than 300 of these sets in the entire world. Wow. That's interesting. Wow. Very cool. Awesome. I got a, what's this? This is from Robin. Robin says, when does Lee think the tribulation will occur? Now, any time within the next two years, next five years or more. I think that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Lee. Prophetic and prophetic convergence. Yeah, yeah we see the signs. Of, 
you, you, you said in the video, do you, do you think 2029 is too late? 2022 is too early? Yep. You know, so. Well, I'm in the ballpark of uh, 2025, 2026 for my guesstimate when the tribulation is going to start. But I, I, I do want to emphasize that that's just a guesstimate by a human being. Um, there's a lot of dear brothers that think that the rapture is much quicker than that. And there's a few that, that don't really have any concept that we're really close to the rapture. And they're thinking it could be decades away yet. Um, I think they're mistaken on that. It, to me, it's hard to look at what's going on in the world and not see confet- prophetic convergence whirling around like a tornado. It's getting ready to turn into the most devastating tornado in the history of mankind. Amen. Yeah, I definitely could see the uh, prophetic stage being set globally right now for the tribulation. I, I Sorry to say this, but I think it needs to get much worse. I think um, the the route that we're going right now, uh, the speed that we're heading right now, if we go to like 2024, 2025, 2026, I mean, look what happened over the last two years. Okay. Now, I don't think it's going to be armies kicking in your door and killing you. Right, right. It's going to be, you know, we're talking maybe uh, grid down where you got no power in your home for a while. You got rolling blackouts, you know, and stuff like that, paying much higher paying much more money for taxes you know but um you know a great point you made in the other video you know christians have been persecuted for you know two thousand years but you made a great point that you know christians saw christians globally uh the amount of christians especially have seen more persecution over the last 100 years than the 2000 years combined yes okay and that's actually a fact because one, there's a lot more. There's 16 genocides since uh, uh, I can't remember which year, but they all, of course, started with the confiscation of guns. That's yeah. all recent. 16 genocides. Okay, and the other thing too is that we have a lot more people on this planet now. We just hit eight billion, so now you have a lot more Christians here than you did 2,000 years ago. That's right. Right. So more people are being persecuted. All right, so I don't think we're I don't think we're going to get out of this thing without a hangnail, but uh, you know I think we might have to go through a little bit more. But it's yeah. not going to be like you know fire coming down from heaven, your house burning down, you're being homeless for three years, something like that. Yeah, I mean, what do you think, Lee? Well, one thing I've often pointed out is that the word rapture, in and of itself, the Greek word harpazo, when you look at how it's used for the deliverance of human beings. Um, whether it's the Greek gods delivering their heroes or whether it's in Josephus and its parents picking up their kids and harpazoing them and scurrying away because the Romans have broken through the walls of Jerusalem. Um, In all these circumstances, the use of the word harpazo implies that you are pulling someone away from the very jaws of death, that they're on the brink of of disaster. And I think that's what's going to happen. I think is the church age is winding down and we've got the the stage of iniquity building deeper and deeper on this globe. We're going to come to a point where we're starting to actually get nervous, I think, uh, in America in a way we've never been nervous. We're thinking, wow, if the rapture doesn't happen quick, we, we might be going into the tribulation and we're going to be coming right up on the on the edge of this thing. Uh, we're going to be seeing the stage setting for Gog and Magog and just insane amounts of warfare going on in the world. 
we're going to see this um, famine, this intentional famine, a, a new world order designed famine going on in the world. We're going to see plagues going on in the world that uh, some of them have been engineered. We're going to see a lot of stuff going on in the world, and it's going to be getting ugly in every color, except the de- it won't be the degree that it's going to be in the 70th week. But it's going to be ugly to us. It's going to be stuff that nobody has seen before. And then, before we we come up to that time exactly, we're going to be scared, and the Lord's going to snatch us out of the jaws of death. And then the world is going to be ushered immediately into this time of tribulation. And they're going to have ugly in every color. And it'll be way beyond what what we were experiencing at the end of the church age, because it's going to rapidly accelerate. Yep. And then, you know what? And just to everybody listening right now, uh, we, we, we're saying this and you think, OK, so we got three or four more years. No, we can rap- rapidly accelerate in two weeks. Yes. It can rapid. It can go that quick. We can go off a cliff here at any time. You can drop one nuke. That's all it's going to take. Yeah. Right. Everything will change within a day. All right. So we, we I mean, we're really flying by the seat of our pants right now. Yeah. I mean, really. I so. <laughs> Another thing I think about too is that we don't know how much time transpires between the rapture of the church and the opening of the seventieth week. We don't know if there's three weeks, three months. Some some good Bible teachers think there might be a year, two years, three years. Mm-hmm. We don't really know. Um, and I, we have, I like to tell people, we have come, I believe, into a place where we could see the rapture at any moment, even though I suspect we most likely have a couple years left. Yeah. Right. Well, Kevin knows when it, Kevin knows when the rapture is coming. It's when it happens. <laughs> oh, oh, amen. I, so I miss my brother. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> That's a great point, though. Um, That's a great point, Lee. Uh, you know, the rapture could take place now, and the tribulation won't begin for two or three more years. Yep. You know, we, it's really, um, I mean, we're really, I told these guys before, we're in uncharted territories now. Absolutely. You know, the, the Bible t- gives us, tells us so much, you know. But when we get to the, we get into the thick of it, we're at right now, where we're in the present moment. You know, you think it would have made sense. Okay, the tribulation should have started back on September 27th. That's what everybody was thinking for the first day of the Shemitah cycle. Yep. But it didn't. It's like, well, maybe the Shemitah cycle's off. Maybe it's off by a month. Maybe it's off by two years. You know, it could be. Maybe it is. I don't know. You know. But the fact of the matter is, you know, you talked about in your videos, and that's why I love it. It's like, you know, I was, I've been, I've been that guy where I'm like this beast of trumpets. It says at the last trump, it says all this, all, all the parallels, the hallmarks are there. It's going to be on the feast of trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, you know. And then I started getting away from it. And it's like, it's like one piece of trumpet after another, after another, after another. And I'm warning everybody. Everybody's laughing at me. So I was like, you know what? Maybe I need to take a different approach to this <laughs> you know and that's why i loved your video where you know it, it, it may not be tied to a feast day yeah any feast day in fact i always make that part par, uh argument where apostle paul he was met by our lord and savior on the road to damascus jesus came down and met him yeah okay on the road to damascus it was outside a feast day because if it wasn't a feast day paul was trained to be a high priest he should have been in jerusalem that's right so he was it was outside of a feast day, okay. So and I don't know if it was three years past the beginning of the Shemitah cycle. Uh, I heard it's like thirty seven A.D. something like that. 
and he got saved. Who knows? But I know it was outside of a feast day. That's right. And here is Jesus addressing the chief. Who Paul says, I am chief of the body of Christ, the first one in the body of Christ. All right. It's his gospel that given to our apostle Paul through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. All right. And that all started outside of the feast day. <laughs> you know, so it really has to make you think, well, the if the if the body of Christ was started outside of a feast day, then will it be completed outside of a feast day? Yeah, I'm in, and I'm inclined to think so. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, you bring up very good points here and uh, uh, you know, Lee, I really uh, I really appreciate your research there. Uh and of course bringing up the uh, uh you know, the revelation area of of overlapping, uh, you know, chronology there. Um, that that's amazing to me uh, because, like I said before at the beginning of the program, most of us have that ingrained in us that it's an end-to-end chronology. So, yep. thank you for for bringing that point up, um, folks. I I do have um, here's Lee's uh, here's Lee's info or his uh, website soothkeep.info uh, for those who are just coming in uh, and just joining us it looks like we have more people coming in um, once again Lee can you just describe soothkeep what does that mean yeah. well soothkeep is an old English word that means truth fortress sooth is truth and keep is used for a fortress so uh, I my whole ministry is to to pursue truth and to defend truth and to articulate truth. Uh, Ever since I was a young believer, I wanted to see the church go to higher ground in her doctrine, in her discernment, and in her devotion. Um, It would be hard to to go to higher ground than the devotion that we saw in the Wesleyans, for instance, in the second uh, or in the first great awakening and and in the followers of Finney in the second great awakening. And it'd be, but we could equal that. There's no reason why we can't. And we should be able to go to higher ground in discernment and in doctrine. We can stand on the shoulders of our forefathers. Uh, we have, with with the connection now with so many good men on the Internet, there's no reason why we can't soak in the wisdom of dozens of men and weigh it and try it and be a Berean and come out all gainers. Uh, we live really in, a, in an insanely blessed age. And so that's my vision. Higher ground in doctrine, discernment, and devotion. Amen. Wonderful. Um, Robert, or Bob, you have uh, <laughs> something to... Robert, Bob. Yeah, I don't. Just say hey, you. <laughs> I'm hey, you. good with that. Hey, Hagen. Hagen. Yeah. Go by Hagen now. <laughs> All right, Doc. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah um, first Peter, uh, what did I say? First Peter 1, 3 through 8. Can you bring that up? I, I just wanted to read this. Uh, I, I was just thinking about this uh, as we were talking this evening here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lit, lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Amen. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, like everything we've been talking about. 
that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory in the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That to me is kind of, uh, if I had to wrap tonight up in some scriptures, this is what I would have done because, you know, we go through manifold temptations, uh, but he's he's given us a lively hope, not a dead hope, yeah. not a not a hope that, you know, when I was following Eastern religions, there was no hope there. There was now there is truth. But there isn't, you know, they, they, there is some truth in religions, but there is not a representative of that religion, if you will, that, that could say that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father except by me. Amen. He was the only one that had that right. And we've said this many times before, either told the truth or he lied. If he told the truth, which we believe he did, then we we need to pursue this and we need to find out more about him and um, give Jesus Christ a chance. Amen. And I, I'm very thankful, Lee. I, I've been very blessed tonight hmm. being being with you guys. You know, sometimes it's a little hard for me on Tuesday nights. I'm pretty I'm pretty tired, but tonight I just determined I'm I'm gonna you know I'm gonna. Uh, get through this <laughs> not you know not that it was a hard to get through but just concentrate and uh, i learned so many things and it just solidifies the uh the love that the lord has for us this amen is, this is all you know scripture is not uh, you know to be a berean is to search the scriptures for in them he had the word says Search the script. They searched the scriptures daily for in them. They they knew that they were going to find the answers. They were going to find the truth. Um, as as to, you know, all good students of the word, we're to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Amen. You know, not not men. I mean, I I don't. If you if people tune in and and they and they get born again from hearing. Uh, what's been presented tonight, that's, uh, what does it say? The angels of heaven rejoice at the saving of one sinner, Bob? Isn't that what it says? I mean, it's, Join it's the just, presence of the angels. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 great because, you know, we've never, all of us have never been together on any anything. And it's like we're all, we're all brothers and we, we've been able to, you know, in the world, people don't get don't get along as well. <laughs> I'm just being straight with you. You know, yeah. hey, now who is this guy? You know, who is this guy from Minnesota? Who's this guy from? You know, I, all, I love the fellowship of the believers. When oh. when we get beyond getting contentious over secondary points, and we're just focused on the primary points, yeah. and we just we just roll with all those secondary differences. Don't let it get the hackle up. Is so sweet to fellowship with the believers. Um, we we just went to on a trip to Montana, whirlwind trip for Thanksgiving, and in a uh, gentleman who's uh, 
lives out there in Montana who had been watching my YouTube channel, connected with me. And and I knew he was from Montana because I saw the 406 area code, and that was the area code that I grew up with. So I asked him where he lived in Montana, and he, and he told me, I said, hey, we might be coming through there on our way home, or close. We should get together for coffee. He was so excited. So we made an arrangement to stop for coffee, a little coffee shop. But he also invited some of the friends from his home Bible study. So here's uh, he and two friends were there and my wife and I, I hadn't met them. They hadn't met me. And then those three hardly knew each other. That Bible study just got started rolling. We had an incredible time of fellowship with people that we hadn't met. But when we have Jesus Christ as the center. It's sweet. Yeah, it's sweet. Yeah. See, that's, 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 it's such a, you know, and it, it, the word says to not forsake the assembling together of the brethren. I mean, Amen. this is where, you know, you, you, you really can't be a hot solo and, and go through this life as a believer. We need, we need, we need the strengths that each other have. We've talked about this many times too. Yeah. You know, Amen. I need the strength. I need Bob's strength. I need Greg's strength. I need the strength that you have and Kevin and all the other folks that have been on here. It's it's uh it's uh, to um, Kev says to re to re-energize the batteries to get the batteries Amen. back up to snuff you know. So it's, <laughs> oh wow you know that passage you read too there was a, a a line that's often stuck out to me where it says kept by the power of God right mm-hmm. and this is such a blessing because when we get saved. Uh, picture reaching out and touching a live electric wire. You're, you're, you know, just you out of a choice of your will, reach out and grab that wire. But once you grab that wire, now you're not letting go because now the wire has a hold of you. Mm-hmm. And I think this is very similar to being kept by the power of God through salvation. We reach out with our feeble faith and we say, yes, to the Lord, we embrace him. But once we embrace him, he embraces us, and he will never let us go. Right. Amen. It's like the body of Christ. The body of Christ only has an entrance. No That's exit. right. Only That's an right. entrance. <laughs> and you can't get. You can't try to force your way out through the entrance because there's constantly people coming in. You just there's no way. It's constantly people coming in, and there's no way you can get out through that entrance. You are sealed. There's Amen. no exit door. Yeah. That's why we that's why we call Bob the Doc. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know the you know the uh, the body of Christ right now is going through a spiritual ceiling. Now, if you think about it, you know, it's been two thousand years. So, so from God's perspective, it's like, well, I like to do it all for you all at once, but it's gonna take two thousand year for years for everybody to be born, live a life, and die. All right, so that's going to have to be the case—a spiritual ceiling for about two thousand years. But when the very last person enters through that doorway, that entrance, the whole body itself becomes sealed because no more coming in. The last person came in, the body sealed. Nobody else is coming in, and that is when the rapture resurrection takes place. God addresses the entire body with a glorification, a, bo- a bodily glorification at this point. A one big birthday for the body of Christ at the rapture resurrection where we receive our glorified bodies at that point. Amen. 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 The the head will have his body. His body will be complete. And then there'll be the fullness of the man. 
right? right? You know, the people right. make that argument about pre-tribulation rapture. Why does rapture have to happen? I was like, well, uh, there's two different gospels. You got a kingdom gospel during the tribulation. You got gospel of grace right now. Yeah, you gotta you gotta close out the gospel of grace and everybody that everybody that's partaken in that gospel, and that gospel of grace is uh, everything that's included with it is a spiritual sealing, Ephesians four thirty, and then a bo- uh, a resurrected body, so that way we have a body that's able to traffic with the mortal plane during the millennial reign. All right, so mm-hmm. we need to have mortal bodies. All right, I mean immortal bodies and <laughs> make sure you get that straight you know <laughs> so that's why the rapture resurrection folks have to has to take place amen all right because you're talking about a completely different set of people than what who god is dealing with during uh the, the time of jacob's trouble who's he dealing with jacob israel the kingdom gospel okay so he's going to finish this project up and move on to the next project basically it's like you can't start the dinner till everybody's here you know, it goes back to where I said everybody everybody must be in, you must wait for the very last person to come into the body of Christ before it's shut down, sealed, and then immediately, in an instant, rapture resurrection takes place. And everybody that has died and is living will receive their immortal bodies at that point. Amen. Amen. What a wonderful day. I, You know, I had a rapture dream once. I don't have many dreams. Did you? But... Oh. Um, you know how in a dream you dream you're falling and it's an awful feeling and you wake up in the fall. I had a dream one time I was visiting with a couple of people. We were in a big, like a big log home and I was talking to two people and all of a sudden I just shot up like a rocket. And uh, I, I tried to cover my head, but before I really could get my head covered, I was right through the ceiling. And then that building is getting smaller and smaller and farther away and the trees and spreading out below me. And I look up and I'm up in the clouds and there's people everywhere. And then I woke up. I said, rats. Amen. Oh, wow. But I felt myself going up. And I I suppose I felt that experience because when I was in the Army, I was in choppers a number of times. So you have that fast acceleration up that you're used to. Well, you know, I've had a rapture dream as well. And uh, I I can relate to that feeling of just being lifted up at a tremendous speed. and this is not something that I have on a day-to-day basis. This was one time years ago that I'll never forget. It was so real. Um, but it was an amazing, amazing dream. And uh, I'll never forget it. I mm. mean, it was so real. Um, so, yeah, I think God just puts those little things out there, you know, uh, for each one of us uh, sometimes. Um, and whether it's coming from the mind or by the spirit, um, sometimes, you know, it's it's one's guess. Uh, I mean, it's all about, you know, what it means. I mean, for you specifically, and it's a personal walk, it's his personal relationship. Uh, he puts those little tiny things out there, those little, uh, those little, um, little great, you know, those, those, I say little great, right? Oxymoron, but those, uh, great, um, little tidbits of, of things that can make you feel like, wow, okay, there is something. Uh, that is great right around the corner for every one of us, for each one of us uh, in in his kingdom. Um, and you know what? Once you, you come into the kingdom, you become sealed. You are in the kingdom. Amen. Eternity starts now. It starts Amen. today. It doesn't start as, you know, when you come out of this body. It starts today. It starts right now. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we, you know, we encourage you to get to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, please That's do when, that today. Yeah, it's all, you know, you started, uh, you started Uptime, what, what is it now, two years ago? Two and a half years ago. Two and a half years ago. And, uh, you know, you, you look back over the time and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you kudos on this right here. I know you're a modest man, but I'm going to just say, from the bottom of my heart and all the different things that we've been through together as a group of guys that uh, I'm just really thankful that I have not have had an opportunity to be part of uh, what you guys have been doing. And, and, um, and I've learned so many things and I've gotten to know you guys and it's been, uh, you know, I mean, sometimes I'm on here and I'm just, I can't even believe it. You know, it's just, I'm around all these guys that are really, real smart, you know, and I'm this old hippie from California. And I'm, <laughs> have really, <laughs> why am I still here in a lot of ways? And I'm thinking to myself that it's because it's because of the grace of God. It's because he saw fit to, um, you know, save me to uh, you know, have my life to the point where it's actually means something. And mm-hmm. and to to think that if anybody's out there to think that you've actually done something that's so bad that God can't change your life is really you know that's the adversary you know he he wants to uh, you know our outward man is perishing but our in daily but our inward man is renewed uh, once you get born again it's 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 a it's a walk. You know, uh, Lee hasn't, you know, you haven't come to the, the knowledge that you've come to in, a, in two days. I mean, it's been a, it's been a walk. The same thing with Bob yeah. and Greg and myself and Kevin and and John. I mean, it's taken a lot of it's 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 been a it's a growth process. You know, it takes years to learn many things. It took the Apostle Paul years to learn things. It, it took. Right the uh, Old Testament prophets years to learn things. So uh, one of the things we need to do is not be so hard on ourselves. Realize that, you know, it's, it's God is working within you to do, to willing to do of his good pleasure. Now, whether that's whatever ministry he's calling you to, just if, if you're, it's in your heart to do it, pursue it. Yep. You know, one and, thing people need to understand too, on that point, brother is, um, we're, this is a this is a long haul race. It's not a sprint. And sometimes when people realize that that they haven't been uh, maybe as faithful or diligent as they should be, and they they decide they're going to start being, they take off like a jackrabbit, and then they get tired. Set a pace that you can keep going consistently. Hmm. And once you've been consistent at that, then up the pace a little bit. This is just like training for long distance running. Except that we're training for raining. There you go. Mm. That's a good I like training for raining. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. And and we have yeah. Jesus behind us the whole time. I mean, he's, he's with us. He is with us. Uh, and there's a verse in the scripture uh, where he talks, I believe it's in Isaiah, to have no fear for I am with you, right? Uh, God is with you. He is with you through this race. You're not doing it on your own, folks. Yeah. Uh, I can't say that I'm doing all this uh, setting up uptime by myself. No, this was God's um, purpose and plan 
long before I was even born, Amen. before the foundations of the earth were even laid down. So you all have a plan. You all have a purpose. And Jesus is there. God Amen. is with you. He is with you. Amen. And it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you're raised in a good Bible-believing Christian home, raised in a pagan home, whether you're coming out of Satanism or Buddhism or Hinduism, or whether you're coming out of atheism. It doesn't matter what you're coming out of. Now, every one of us that's been saved has life experience that once we're saved, we can easily identify and, and deal with people from a similar background. Yeah. And uh, so if you've coming out of some awful, awful dark background, uh, whether it's Satanism or witchcraft or or some kind of paganism or, or just mean atheism, don't worry about it. You're, the past is the water under the bridge. Just get right with the Lord and just allow the Lord to use your past experience to minister to other people with a similar experience. Because some of you are going through situations where I could never really identify. I can give textbook answers, but you can give them life experience answers mm -hmm. from your experience. So That's God right. can use you no matter how dark your past has been. Well, well that's a great point. <laughs> Man, that's the truth. Isn't it, Bob? It really is. That's... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, look at all of us here. I mean, we have a, we have a lot of different characters that comes on this show, right? <laughs> You know, so we, you know, people, some people don't relate to me, but they relate to Bob here, right? They do, you know, or they, re, or they relate to Lee, Yeah, you know, yeah. so that's why, I mean, we really do have a pretty good uh, variety. <laughs> yeah. And, and who coordinated all of it? You know, we have to remember who coordinated all this. Amen. We give glory to God, right? Amen. Yeah. I didn't mean to. I, I didn't mean to embarrass you by saying that. But I, I, I'm just thankful for, you know, that that you followed the prompting of the Lord and and uh, putting this putting this on here, putting this together, Greg. You know, because you, you know a lot of, a lot of times a lot of times it's really you know uh, it's, it's like when I started doing my teaching uh, my little teaching thing I do, I thought you know who's going to want to who's going to want to hear it. You know, who's going to want to uh, listen to it? But as time's gone on, the Lord has shown me things. And and sometimes at the end, I'm going, you know, I always pray that he'll he'll put it together so it'll make sense. And somehow it does. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm not going to sit there and take credit for it because it's it's uh, if it, it, this is the, this is like we said a little earlier, this is you know, whatever your calling is, um, you just follow it. And, and, uh, you know, God needs all kinds of different people. I mean, he, yeah. you know, not, not everybody is going to be able to do the research and the, and the different things that Lee's doing. Not everybody's going to be able to do the videos and the different things that Bob's doing and, uh, you know, and Michael and, and Kevin and, you know, but, we're, we're, we all really we're members in particular, the word says, Amen. you know, of the body. And we're not just, you know, God doesn't throw things haphazardly together. It's a, it's a it, there's order to it. I mean, yeah. sometimes there's not always order to our lives, but there's order to what he's doing. So, you know, for people that sometimes get a little discouraged, uh, they feel like maybe they're not accomplishing a lot or not doing a lot. 
I'd encourage you to go onto YouTube and listen, search for a video called I Got Off at George Street. It's a very fascinating testimony. It's about 10 minutes long, but there was a an older brother who spent years every day going down to George Street. It was I forget which town in Australia it was. And he was passing out gospel tracts. And he tried to focus on the young men that were getting off of the Australian, British, New Zealand's, New Zealand's ships, the Navy boys that were coming to town. And he would stop them and ask them if they were saved and give them a tract. And he'd been at that for many years and wasn't aware that he had any fruit at all. And he got sick and he was in the, if I got the story right, I believe he was uh, late um, at home discouraged or in the hospital discouraged. But somebody had found out a story and came to him and encouraged him with the story. And what had happened is there was a preacher that had been teaching different missionary conferences around the world. And at, at one of them, he'd asked how they got saved. And he had several people come up and tell him that they had been in that particular town, gotten off their Navy ship, walked through town, and a white-haired guy accosted them on George Street, handed them a tract, and asked them if they were saved and if they knew they were going to go to heaven. And so it turned out that he found hundreds of people at these missionary conferences that had been saved by this man's ministry, and he had no idea that he had seen one person saved. No wow. idea. That's, so That's cool. awesome. So I, I think most of us have no idea. We probably don't see 1% or 2% of the good that we've done because that good that we do trickles out and it keeps going. Amen. Right. Amen. Well, we have to wrap this up. Uh, we only have about a minute left. But, Lee, uh, thank you so much for coming on with us, doing your presentation. Uh, yeah, and uh, there is your website address right there, Lee, Lee Brainerd, soothkeep.info. That's soothkeep.info. Uh, yeah, please go to his YouTube channel also at uh, www.youtube.com at uh, that's slash at soothkeep. So that's the at symbol. All right. Um, so uh, once again, uh, this was an amazing, amazing uh, uptime and uh, much needed, perfect timing in my mind, in my view. Um, but yes, thank you so much, Lee, for coming on with us. Enjoy the time. All Amen. right. And uh, thank you all for coming on with us to uh, to uptime. Another time, we appreciate your uh, your presence and uh, and all of your comments. So uh, once again, as we usually say, if the Lord's will, if it be the Lord's will, we'll see you next week. All right. God bless God you bless. all. Take care.